You're listening to the Forrester Technopolitics Podcast, inspiring commentary and intelligent insight from experts in the thick of it. Hi, everyone. This is Mike Walteri. Welcome back to another episode of Technopolitics. I'm here with Eve Mailer, Principal Analyst and Security Expert. Hi, Eve. Hi, Mike. How are you? Welcome back. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Um, let's talk about something that I know you talk about a lot, which is passwords. Yes, let's indeed. talk about sharing. How people share passwords. Yes, they people share passwords a lot. Uh, an example that I've heard many times is uh, in a household, a father might share his Amazon password with his son so he, the father doesn't have to do some task like ordering something they need. The son can do it for him. Yeah, I've done that with my daughter ordering a textbook. <gasps> you have? Oh, well, you didn't say it was wrong yet. Well, <laughs> keep going. It's, Tell us how people share. It then... violates terms of service. Okay. But so you can say yes, technically it's wrong, um, and you could say it's really wrong because now the son or the daughter can impersonate that father, right. you, <laughs> um, whenever they want because they've now got the credentials for that account. And how else do people share? I mean. There's another great example, which I think everyone in the audience can probably relate to, which is sharing their Netflix credentials so a bunch of people can get the benefits of streaming video when only one of them has actually paid for the service. I can imagine this happening in uh, dorm dormitories. Yes, I suspect so. It happens yeah. actually a lot from what I hear. Yeah. And, and that's definitely against the terms of service because there you've got a directly paid service for the streaming and you've got more people using it than should. Well, you're talking about the terms of service, but I'm thinking, oh, who cares about those? No one even reads that anyway. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking more like, well, what damage could someone do if you give them your password? Well, indeed. I mean, um, you, you, this is what I call consensual impersonation, meaning you have consented to have somebody else do something, uh, sometimes on your behalf, sometimes on their own. So, They're impersonating so. you because to the service, it looks like you. They have your username. They have your password. They're not you. But, you know, computers don't know about human beings. They know about usernames and passwords. And in that way, that person now can walk away with the ability to do things as if they were you. And so you might have initially asked them to do it on your behalf, in the case of Amazon ordering something. Or you may have just shared the credentials because, hey, everybody wants to get that sweet download uh, video. Um, but the problem is you, there's now access to that account that's not yours, and it's really not auditable whose it is. Right. And, and who is this more a problem for? Is it, is it a problem for the person who shared their password? I mean, I guess it potentially could be. It could But be. it must also be a problem for a bank or Amazon that's or right. wherever. Yeah, so a lot of times you'll see, like, in, in the case of bank accounts, if you're doing some online retail banking, it's quite typical in a household for, say, a husband and wife to share credentials because it's a household account. Yeah. Um, so in that case, I mean, the bank sort of has to suck it up because that's their job to serve both the husband and wife, and it's a shared account. It's a joint yeah. account. Um, it's a problem for the service when it's a paid service and there's overuse of the service. And that's where you start to see solutions like tracking IP addresses of computers that are going in, and you see fraud detection capabilities because there's money being lost, essentially. Um, there's money being left on the table. It's a problem for individuals when the person that you shared your password with decides to do something you don't like. So husband and wife get divorced. One of them wipes out the contents of an account. Mm -hmm. Or one thing that we've been hearing about is boyfriend and girlfriend in high school mm -hmm. 
want to prove they love each other and they exchange Facebook credentials. I think it's safer to get tattoos. Oh my goodness, it's so wrong. <laughs> and it's so wrong because real damage can be done. And in that case, it's not even like, you know, they're married and have some sort of commitment to each other, right. really. So the Who's notion- li liable if someone does something? The person who has the account and who gave out the credentials. Ah, so- it, There wow, is some, okay. yeah, there's some yeah. consequences for, so, I mean, for that person. So if someone posts something kind of nasty, Mm -hmm. do, you, do you go to Facebook? Who do you go to to say that's wrong? Uh, at that point, you're in the court of public opinion right. most often, in the yeah. case of Facebook, where it's you know social. Um, in the case of uh, Netflix, where they might shut down your account if they see activity that they don't like, well, you suffer the consequences. So, I mean, it sounds like you're saying that you know sharing is rampant. It's going to continue, right, because there's, there's certain value to it to the person who's sharing. That's right. But there's some li you know some liability concerns. What are some companies doing, you know, to offset well, the potential? As we as we've seen, I mean, there's actually been several breaches of just Twitter in the last two months. So Twitter itself uh, had a sustained attack performed on it, uh, attack performed on it, and quite a lot of. Business accounts on Twitter got hacked. AP got hacked. Yeah, I remember that one. Burger the stock King. market dropped. That had a yes. real impact. Yes, it had an impact. So somebody could have been doing that. If they thought that might happen, they yeah. could have been timing the market, actually, yeah. to see some monetary benefit from that. So it's interesting in the case of business Twitter accounts because the way that we treat Twitter as businesses is, of course, to share the credentials to the Twitter account. You know, you don't have, if you're a big enough company and you have, say, three social media people, and they work around the clock, the way you interact with that account in the main is to just share the credentials. It's the easiest thing to do. And so what, you know, there have been some indications that Twitter is going in the direction of putting in place stronger authentication methods versus just passwords. Yeah, but how, how, I mean, I, you know, I've, I'm on some sites that have stronger, right? There's a little image with the password, but, but mm. you can give, or two-phase, okay. Yeah. But you can tell someone that, too. Can't you share well, that? Well, it gets kind of interesting. So other than, I would say, some banks, certainly in the North American market, um, worldwide, it's a little different, but it's even banks have been reluctant to put in place the kind of thing where they send a one-time passcode to your phone. Mm -hmm. Some banks do do it. But all these social media sites that have been hacked, have some of them have put in place, like Facebook has, Google has, um, Dropbox has, I think LinkedIn has, ways to do what they variously call two-factor authentication. Google has two-step verification. Facebook has login approvals. Every single one of those, in those cases, non-bank cases, is optional. And the uptake is really low. But it also doesn't serve the consensual impersonation problem, right? It, it actually can, I think, in the main, solve the problem if we see it as a problem because it increases the friction to helping somebody impersonate you. For example, if, yeah, if it were imposed upon you every time you log in or every time your browser cookie expired or something to have to reestablish that you're you by having your mobile phone handy on another channel versus logging into say your your laptop that friction is enough to make it really hard except for onesie twosie examples to do the consensual impersonation trick right. so the way to think of this is companies may have a problem with account sharing that I think ultimately they may try to solve with either adding something on top of passwords, like the SMS, a one-time password, 
or similar. Um, or, you know, in some fashion, uh, eliminate passwords, which many people want to do. So companies have a problem, they try and mitigate the problem. If they go to that extent and they actually increase the friction of consen consensual impersonation enough that people find it hard to do, people who had a reason to do it are going to have lost something. And I think it's something that companies who are facing the problem of fraud, of account sharing, of passwords being too insecure, of password cracking, companies who are facing that, if they take away passwords as that convenient way of account sharing, they're going to be losing something they didn't know was a benefit to their consumers. And so this is why I talk about consensual impersonation not as a problem, but as what the usability folks would call an affordance of passwords. Yeah. So, so firms have to manage, they have to acknowledge that consensual impersonation exists and implies to win to demand. Let me ask you a hypothetical yep. inquiry then. All right. One of my favorite services in the whole wide world, oh, we're not supposed to push products here, <laughs> uh, uh, HBO Go. Okay, yes. HBO Go is, is now, you know, it's a service where basically if you subscribe to cable television, Yep. You, can, you can see it you on can log your in and tablet. You can in. Mm -hmm. Right, you can see it anywhere. Yep. And it's fantastic because you can watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, and I could imagine you could share that password. It, it's a simple username and password with, with, a, with a lot of people. Um, what would you recommend, hypothetically, that, that HBO Go mm -hmm. do to manage that? Or Netflix or Amazon or Instant Video. If right. you have Prime, there's a lot of free yep. content on Instant Video. Yep. Speaking of the one that I use the most often. Yep. Um, so the typical technique, if you're watching money walk out the door, yeah. is to do some kind of what's called risk-based authentication. So in addition to the username and the password, you start to track what devices are coming in mm. with those credentials mm -hmm. and you know where they appear to be in the world. Yeah. So if somebody were to log in from, I don't know, Boston, Massachusetts, yeah. and a moment later log in from somewhere in Singapore, yeah. Hmm, this looks suspicious. Yeah. So that risk-based authentication approach is basically doing kind of silent observation mm -hmm. and then applying intelligence and analytics to say this looks fishy. Now, unless you put in place something stronger than passwords, your choices then are decide to let the user in anyway mm -hmm. or kick them out. Yeah, yeah. What you have to do if you want to get a little more friendly to the consumer experience is think about... Uh, stepping the user up to a second factor of authentication. Right, right. So your recommendation would be a second factor of authentication. I mean, not. It's interesting. Throughout this conversation, you never said you know change your password every thirty days or force those changes because that would nope. be just that would be terrible to force someone to do that. No, no consumer pretty much is forced to except when there's a breach, right? Right. Um, and so employees are forced to, and the only reason I think they're forced to in the main is that we aren't as respectful of employees' time and productivity and sensibilities as we are of consumers. <laughs> do you share your password with anyone? Can I tell a tale out of school? Well, yes. Is this just between you and me, Mike? <laughs> yes. Rowan, our producer, can edit anything. <laughs> well, just yesterday, I was forced to share my forced? password. Forced? Not at gunpoint, but forced to share my password with an IT person here at Forrester no. so that I could get a new laptop provisioned. No. I was shocked. 
and my hand shook as I wrote it down on the post-it note. <laughs> but this is one of the affordances of passwords in the enterprise. What I did was essentially consensual impersonation with a privileged admin person just so that they could provision me with new hardware. Now, we could talk about the BYOD things and implications of that, but just for the moment, thinking about that, the fact that you can synchronize passwords between PCs is valuable to IT. And this is why I am so skeptical of passwords actually being uprooted, because they're just so darn useful. Eve Mailer, thank you for joining Technopolitics. It was my pleasure. You've been listening to the Forrester Technopolitics podcast. Read more about the technology fuel disruption and join the discussion at blogs.forrester.com.